The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So in high school, I did research at the University of Delaware, and I hated it. Really? (laughs) So my dad is a scientist, and he loves research. And I always thought I'd just fall in love with research, too. But my project was studying moths and specifically seeing how baby moths react to different types of light cycles. And I was not good at this. I mean, just the fact that you called them baby moths, I think is proof of that. (laughs) That's true. But uh, I was also bad at it because, like, I wanted immediate results. And that's not how that type of science works, right? Like you're often waiting years for little discoveries. So I was at the lab late one night, kind of hating my life and thinking science isn't for me. And then I saw a flyer on the wall across the way for this uh, mechanical engineering lab. And it had these pictures of these excited engineers just building these giant slingshots and cannons for the Pumpkin Chunkin, that big festival that takes place in Delaware. And they were just having so much fun. Yeah, that's the one where they shoot pumpkins across the field, right? And Uh and, and somehow that convinced you to become an engineer? (laughs) I mean, I I think collecting weird facts is a better career fit for me. I would agree. I just remember thinking it's fall and the leaves are beautiful and I'm stuck in this lab while these guys are giggling and lobbing pumpkins. And (laughs) somehow, as the weather gets crisp most years, I I do think about how lucky I am not to be stuck indoors. And today's show is all about making the most of the fall and coming up with the best, weirdest fall travel guide we could. So that's what we're doing today. Let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikader. And on the other side of the soundproof glass, carving our faces into a <laughs> massive pumpkin. Have you seen this yet, Mango? I haven't. That's our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. And I have to say, I'm a little bit conflicted watching this because on the one hand, I've never had my likeness portrayed in gourd form. So I, I guess I'm a little bit flattered about this. But on the other hand, Tristan is turning out to be really exacting as a carver. And the accuracy I'm seeing here is more than a little bit unsettling, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, he's exacting about everything. And I, I do feel like 
him choosing us as subjects is flattering, kind of. But I also think it's going to be weird having these ugly jack-o'-lanterns around for the rest of the month. It's going to be horrible. Yeah, yeah it's going to be a little bit odd. Well, if there's any upside to all of this, it's that at least we now have some tangible proof that it's really autumn here in Atlanta, where it's still 80-something degrees at the moment. <laughs> And because we need all the reminders of the season we can get, we thought it'd be fun to devote today's episode entirely to fall festivals. But we're not talking about the typical events you see this time of year, like Oktoberfest or Harvest Carnivals. Nothing against those. Those are always fun. But we're actually going to shine a spotlight on some of the truly unique and unusual festivals that are taking place all across the country right now. So many of these are happening like this weekend or next weekend. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because there are just so many events to choose from, we decided to lay out a few broad categories to guide us and then kind of went our separate ways, found one or two examples of each. And, and so that's how we'll be tackling this. So first up, we've got food festivals. Mango, what's your, what's your first pick for this one? So I'm going to go with the giant omelet celebration that takes place in Abbeville, uh, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And it takes place during the first weekend of November. And for this annual festival, more than 5,000 fresh eggs are carried through the streets of town and then cracked into this enormous 12-foot skillet. Right outside the courthouse. Oh, wow. <laughs> and from there, a team of international chefs, they're known as the Conferi. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's fraternity not. in French. And they add like 15 pounds of crawfish tails, 52 pounds of butter, and a few other key <laughs> ingredients. And then they whip up this giant Cajun omelet. So who gets to eat this massive omelet? Everyone. Everyone gets to eat it. Yeah. So the chefs consider their creation uh, this omelet of friendship. So the whole thing is dished out free of charge to anyone in attendance. And there's even a 600 egg junior omelet that that, uh, I guess aspiring people can cook up. And and it's in a four foot skillet right alongside the giant one. And it's called the um, children's omelet. And that's also handed out to crowd. Wow. And remind me again, how many eggs are in the big one again? So the rule is you've got to use 5,000 eggs plus one extra egg for uh, each year the festival has been around. So uh, it's been around since 1984, which means it was made from like 5,034 eggs this year. Oh my gosh. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Well, the whole thing sounds really fun and silly and I'm guessing the omelet tastes delicious. Mm -hmm. I hope after this many years, they've actually gotten it down to a science, but um, there's got to be a story to like how this started because it seems like a pretty specific way to celebrate. Yeah, so this one actually has a great history behind it. It goes back to when Napoleon and his army were traveling through the south of France, and this was in the early 1800s. And according to the legend, he and his men were staying near this small town of Bessier one night, and uh, Napoleon ended up eating an omelet prepared by a local chef. And supposedly he liked the dish so much that he ordered the townspeople to gather up all the eggs in the town, (laughs) uh, any ones they could find, and cook a massive omelet for his army to eat the next morning. And this actually became a French tradition years later, like where towns would, I guess, prepare these big monster omelets to feed the poor at Easter. And that's how Abbeville got uh, got in on this omelet act too. Like like three members of the town's uh, Chamber of Commerce, they attended the festival in Bessier, France in the early 80s. And they had so much fun that they decided to bring the festival back to their hometown. And now there are actually seven cities worldwide that host their own omelet festivals. And representatives from each of them gather in Louisiana each year to help prepare the town's giant omelet. But if eating omelets isn't your thing, there's still lots of other on-theme activities, including both an egg toss and an egg cracking contest. Oh, that seems appropriate. You know, that's going to be a tough one to beat because that does sound like a lot of fun. So Mm -hmm. I feel like I need to show a little state pride. I haven't mentioned Alabama in a few episodes recently. So Uh I'm going to go with the National Peanut Festival that's hosted each year in Dothan, Alabama. Now, not to brag or anything, Mango, but 
Did you know that more than a quarter of the nation's peanuts are grown within a 100-mile radius of Dothan? Really? I, I honestly did not know that. But I, I've got to say, it does sound like you are bragging. I am bragging <laughs> because actually I didn't know that fact until we started doing our research for this week's episode. But uh, maybe I should have known that. But uh-huh. anyway, Dothan bills itself as the peanut capital of the world. And that's not a title we Alabamians take lightly because, sure. I mean, don't forget, peanut farming basically saved Alabama's economy after the Civil War. And that was actually true of a few other southern states as well. You may have heard this story before. but you know, boll weevils completely decimated the region's cotton crops during Reconstruction. And, you know, the peanut turned out to be just the replacement cash crop that the local farmers needed. So I, I think I've heard about this before. Was it uh, George Washington Carver who actually suggested that? Well, he definitely played a big role in getting Southern farmers to switch to planting peanuts. You know, in fact, when Dothan hosted its inaugural peanut festival back in 1938, George Washington Carver was actually the guest of honor there. And there, there's even a statue of him in the town today. Oh, I love that. So well, yeah. what do you do at a peanut festival? I, I mean, besides eating a lot of peanuts. You definitely eat a lot of peanuts. <laughs> but uh, I mean, you name it. Like there's live music, petting zoos, livestock shows, of course, a parade. There's even a beauty pageant where women from all different peanut producing counties face off uh-huh. to see who will be crowned Miss National Peanut Festival. <laughs> As a matter of fact, there's so much to do at the festival that the three-day event it started as in 1938 has grown into this sprawling 10-day event attended what? by more than 200,000 people. So just keep this in mind. If you're in the area anytime between November 2nd and November 11th, swing by the festival and go nuts, I guess, or you know, stay very far away if you've got peanut allergies. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, I am actually glad you brought up how peanuts saved the region because I found another food with like a similar story. Yeah, It's called the uh, Boggy Bayou Mullet Festival, and it's set to take place in Niceville, Florida this year from uh, October 21st through the 23rd. I love that name, the Boggy Bayou Mullet Festival. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think we should be clear here. M- many people may not know this. I think most people probably think of a mullet as like the unfortunate hairstyle, but uh, yeah, which, which Tristan, I think committed to for one of the episodes we did about (laughs) hair weeks ago. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about the hairstyle. Yeah. Thankfully this has nothing to do with haircuts because the festival is actually a celebration of the mullet fish, which are these small ray finned fish that uh, live in warm waters all across the world. Yeah, and obviously that's much better than eating hair. Mm -hmm. So So, during the Great Depression, the town of Niceville, or Boggy Bayou as it was called at the time, was single-handedly saved by the mullet fishing industry. So the the fish were abundant in the town's nearby bayous. Mm -hmm. And this not only kept the residents fed, but it also gave them something to trade with the neighboring farmers from Alabama. And of course, a lot has changed since then. So the town's got like a sunnier name now. It goes by Niceville. But the fish are still the star of the show at this annual festival. So since 1976, people from all over the South have flocked to Niceville each fall for a weekend of live music and mullet-based cuisine. And while I can't claim to have tried the fish myself, the word is that it's especially tasty when it's smoked. Though vendors at the festival have actually all sorts of other preparations, as you'd mm. imagine. Like, you can try it baked, broiled, grilled. Uh, if you really want to indulge, there's a fried Italian potato mullet. <laughs> or you could go Hawaiian with the tropical barbecue mullet. I like how no matter what it is, when you said fried, I was like, I'll try it. I'm, <laughs> I'm into this. I mean, as tempting as that is, I do think I found a food festival that gives the old mullet fish a run for its money. And that's West Virginia's famous Roadkill Cook-Off. Uh-huh. Now, this is an event that takes place in the town called Marlington there. And the local chefs actually compete to see who can cook up the tastiest dish 
that are using animals you'd likely see on the side of the road. So this is a festival for anyone who's ever had a hankering for exotic fare like squirrel gravy over biscuits or fried (laughs) venison wontons or the ever-popular teriyaki marinated bear. What? So people actually run down bears in West Virginia? Have you ever been to West Virginia? I mean, actually, that's that's the thing. Like, an entry's main ingredient doesn't have to be sourced from actual roadkill. And the website's rules mention that Most of the judges would prefer that it not be, but instead the only requirement is that a dish's main ingredient has to be an animal that often winds up on the side of the road after being hit, unfortunately, by a car. So things like deer, rabbit, possum, groundhog, snake, squirrel, or yes, even bear. Those are all fair game. I can't tell you how many bear I've almost run over in my Prius. (laughs) Right, exactly. And, And I'm sure the food is great in its own right, but my favorite part of the festival is the way the West Virginians kind of poke fun at the stereotypes that some people associate with their state. So just as an example of this, most competitors come up with these really colorful names for their recipes. Like just listen to last year's winning top three. Hold on. I've got the the list here. It says you've got a fender fried fawn smothered in vulture vomit that took third place. Uh You've got hillbilly Mardi Gras alligator and turtle gumbo. I'd actually probably taste that to be honest. That took second place. And then this year's champion Predator slash prey chili, which was a twofer made from both bear and venison. <laughs> I mean, I do like their sense of humor, but if those are this year's winners, then I guess the festival is already over. Yeah, that's true. It was a fun one to talk about, but we did we did miss it. It was the last Saturday in September, but there's always next year. Mm-hmm. You need to plan ahead for these kinds of events. But, you know, as you know, if fall just isn't the same for you without a little exotic game in your life, I did find another festival that might do the trick. Now, it's called the Ennis Hunter's Feet, and it takes place in Ennis, Montana on October 19th this year. Now, the event got its start 33 years ago, mostly as a way for the town's hunters to clean out their freezers before the next season. And in fact, the festival actually takes place every year on the Friday before rifle season opens, which I'm sure you knew as soon as I said that day, you were like, that's right before (laughs) rifle season. And while there's plenty to keep people entertained, including bear spray demonstrations and bake sales, the main event is a cooking competition to see who can make the most creative dishes from wild game that's been kept on ice since the last season. So I, I think the question we all want to ask is, do the recipes have clever names like at the Roadkill Festival? I mean, I wish they did, but unfortunately not, or at least not as far as I could tell. But the dishes themselves do sound every bit as inventive as what they cook up in West Virginia. So just looking at the list here, you've got old standards like moose chili and elk fajitas. Then there's some of the fancy stuff like mountain lion cordon bleu. Huh. Then lastly, for dessert, festival goers can indulge themselves with some homemade moose brownies and a fresh batch of deer fudge. I actually want to try both of these. (laughs) I don't know if it's, I guess it's made of deer. I don't really know exactly (laughs) what that means, but it's on the list here. I should have looked that up. But you know, once everybody's had their fill, ballots are cast and trophies are awarded to the year's best and most creative dishes. So it seems like a fun one. Yeah, that does seem fun. So I, I think we've covered enough weird food to last a lifetime. So let's move on to our next category. But first, we should take a quick break. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the weirdest fall festivals that are actually worth the trip. All right, Mango, so our next category was animal-based festivals where you don't eat the animals, <laughs> right? Isn't that what we agreed on? Yeah. All right, so I- I'm curious, what did you come up with for that one? So there's another Louisiana event that I want to talk about. It's called the Angola Prison Rodeo, and it's held every year in the town of St. Francisville in the fall. And we might have mentioned this on a previous episode, but... It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a rodeo put on by the inmates of the Louisiana State Penitentiary. I'm curious, like, how does that happen? Is this some sort of, like, cowboy jail or something? (laughs) I mean, if if they have real prisoners out there riding bulls and racing horses, is that what's happening? Yeah, so they they do all the stuff that you'd see at a normal rodeo. But as far as I can tell, none of the performers had rodeo experience prior to going to prison. The event was first held in 1965, I believe. And it was really just a way to entertain the inmates and the prison employees. In fact, the rodeo wasn't open to the public until two years later. And even then, spectators had to sit on apple crates or the hoods of their cars because there weren't any stands yet. Hmm. I'm assuming that's changed by now. And and do you have to go to the actual prison to watch the rodeo? So not anymore. The event was actually so successful once it went public that the organizers invested in this 4,500-seat arena. And they opened it for the first time for the uh, 1969 rodeo. And this is kind of random, but I read that the bleachers actually collapsed during one of the shows that year. But the crowd was so engrossed that most people didn't even get up. They just sat (laughs) on the collapsed bleachers and kept watching. Ah, this must be some show. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I was checking out the rundown of events and some of them are super wild. So one of the newer ones to be added to the program is chariot racing. Mm-hmm. But instead of standing in an actual chariot with wheels on it, 
contestants just mount a sled that's attached to a horse and rider. And so then they're pulled at top speeds all across the arena. And the whole time, each of the sled riders is holding a pitcher of water. And whoever manages to hold on the longest and spill the least water is the winner. Oh, okay. That sounds fun, actually. But if races aren't your thing, there's also this event called the wild cow milking. And as you might have guessed, this is where teams of inmates, cowboys, they start chasing cows all around the arena while trying to milk them. And the first team to bring milk to the judge is the one that wins. <laughs> <laughs> that one does not sound as fun to me, to be honest, but uh, but it does sound interesting. But right, well, what about the more dangerous stuff that you see at rodeos, like trying to stay on the back of a bucking bronco mm-hmm. or getting chased by a bull? Like, can they do any of that? Or is it a little too dangerous for the, you know, I guess they're untrained prisoners? So the inmates aren't actually untrained. The, the whole event is overseen by rodeo professionals who mm-hmm. help coordinate the stunts and they step in if things get hairy. And as for dangerous stunts, like the prison rodeo has so many of those. It's crazy. Like the strangest is probably what they call convict poker. And according to the rodeo's website, this is the ultimate poker game where every winning hand has a price. And four inmate cowboys will sit at a table in the middle of the arena and they're playing this friendly game of poker and suddenly a wild bull charges in. <laughs> the sole purpose is to knock the players out of the seats and the last man remaining seated is the winner. Is an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if that's not wild enough for you, you've got to stick around for the last event of the day. It's called Guts and Glory. And the object is for an inmate to get close enough to the biggest, meanest bull in the show in order to snatch a poker chip that's been tied to its horn. It is really mind-blowing. Oh, my gosh. We would be so bad at this. Mm -hmm. It sounds just so nerve-wracking. I don't even think I could watch this, much less participate in it. Yeah, so this is probably a good time to mention that participation in the rodeo is completely voluntary. So this is an excuse to, like, abuse or exploit inmates or anything like that. And, in fact, all of the profits from the rodeo go straight into the prison's inmate welfare fund which uh, pays for their educational and recreational supplies. And so if this sounds fun to anyone listening, the prison rodeo takes place every Sunday in October. So if you're going to be in town for that giant omelet celebration the first weekend of November, like why not get there a few days early? Check this one out too. Definitely. Aside from the rodeo itself, there are lots of arts and crafts and livestock demonstrations as well. It does seem like something for everybody. All right, well, my Animals We Don't Eat festival is a bit more (laughs) subdued than a prison rodeo. But don't worry, it still has a thrilling white knuckle race. Now, it's called the Woolly Worm Festival, and it's held each year in late October in Banner Elk, North Carolina. And as you can probably tell from the name, the entire festival is centered on woolly worms or woolly bears if you're from the Midwest or New England. Sure, and those are the fuzzy brown and black caterpillars that you see around this time of year, right? That's exactly them. Well, bonus points for remembering that woolly worms aren't actually worms at all. Like you said, they're caterpillars, and the ones that survive till spring will eventually become Isabella tiger moss. But if you ask me, these guys are a lot more interesting as caterpillars, and, and that's because woolly worms supposedly have the ability to predict weather. Now, according to regional folklore, the 13 segments of a woolly worm's body correspond to the 13 weeks of winter. So the lighter a brown segment is, the milder that week of winter will be. And the darker a black segment is, the colder and snowier that corresponding week will be. I thought that was just so funny. So they're basically the groundhogs of the insect kingdom. Yeah, except even more complicated. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I mean, Punxsutawney Phil, I feel like better step up his game uh-huh. if he wants to be this interesting. But there's a catch to predicting the weather with woolly worms, though, because you have to study the stripes to discern the weather patterns, but each woolly worm stripes are a little bit different. So you could pick up two different caterpillars and get two different, you know, predictions from this. And so that's where the festival comes in. I mean, visitors can take part in the standard festival fair, like crafts and food vendors and live concerts. But the main event is undoubtedly the 
woolly worm race or waste as the locals call it for some reason. <laughs> and so the race is equal opportunity and open to worms of all sizes and skill levels. <laughs> and human coaches, as they call them, simply place the contestants on one of the many strings laid out for the race. And then whichever one climbs the three foot string, the fastest becomes the definitive weather predictor for the year. It sounds very, very scientific. <laughs> A lot of science there. Yeah. I mean, I haven't witnessed one of these races firsthand. They must be pretty riveting because last year's festival drew an estimated 20,000 spectators and about 1,000 racers. So is there any kind of prize for winning? Well, for the Caterpillars, it's mostly just that honor of having your stripes used to predict the weather. And I'm sure that they are all very honored uh -huh. by that. But you know, they're also given these cool nicknames like Patsy Climb and Dale Wormheart. So I guess that's, you know, there's that piece to it. But <laughs> They and, come out with a nickname. <laughs> yeah, they come out with a nickname. That seems pretty awesome. Is that not enough? Uh -huh. But there's also a $1,000 cash prize. But what is probably the biggest injustice of the entire Woolly Worm Festival is that that money actually goes to the winning worm's coach, not to the worm itself. That does feel like a ripoff. And even though I think I know the answer to this, I, I do have to ask, like, are the worms ever right about the weather? I mean, that's a fair question, and it really depends on who you ask. I mean, scientists will tell you that woolly worms have no weather forecasting powers whatsoever, and scientists are always ruining it, you know? <laughs> but the claim that variance in color on a woolly worm stripes is really due to temperature levels and moisture during its first few days of life. So really, if anything, the stripes would actually tell you more about what the weather was like when the caterpillar was born than they would about you know, what it's going to be like in the future. But uh -huh. anyway, that said, the festival's organizers argue that, quote, over the last 20 years, the worms have had an 85% record for accuracy. So maybe the scientists are just jealous. <laughs> that's a good percentage. Yeah, that's not a bad percentage. But actually, I do want to share this other quote from the festival's website just because it is too good not to share. And so here's what it says. There is no other experience in life that can produce the absurd euphoria that comes from cheering for a caterpillar to climb a string. <laughs> It is so indisputably ridiculous that it becomes completely liberating. Well, I am sold. And, you know, I actually came across a few different festivals that use creepy crawlies as weathermen. But um, I think I'll save that for our scary festivals category. All right. Well, that happens to be up next. But before we get to that, let's take one more quick break. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. And we all know Halloween makes autumn the de facto spooky season. So it's only right that we include a couple scary festivals in our travel guide. That's what we were thinking. But as terrifying as haunted houses can be, I decided to go with a more primal fear for my pick. And that's tarantulas. So lots of people have arachnophobia. And that's understandable when faced with spiders as big and hairy as these guys. But... At the Tarantula Awareness Festival, and this is in Gold, California, the aim isn't to scare you with spiders, and instead it's to make you appreciate them as much as you should. I mean, I love the name of this one, but I, I feel like maybe they're asking a bit much with that goal. I mean, wh- what is there to appreciate exactly? So for starters, tarantulas are actually a vital part of the Gold ecosystem. So they help control the populations of all kinds of harmful pests, as well as like they serve as an important food source for local wildlife. And then there's that power to predict weather that I mentioned. So the whole festival is this celebration of the local tarantulas. And these are the guys that emerge from their burrows each fall to find a mate. And because the spiders basically hibernate all winter once they've mated, their emergence is usually an indicator that rain and cooler temperatures are just a few weeks away. Hmm. Uh, That is pretty cool. But I find it kind of interesting that the festivals where we don't eat the animals, or at least as the main attraction, like, these are the ones where we're using them to, you know, come up with weather predictions. It's like, <laughs> if I can't eat this, it better at least predict the future. But otherwise, why am I not eating it, you know? <laughs> anyway, are there other events going on here? Or is this mostly just watching spiders crawl out of the holes all day? <laughs> no, definitely not. There are all kinds of other festivities, including there's a scream-off contest. Uh, all right. Uh, tarantula poetry reading. Um, I think it's reading poetry about tarantulas, not the tarantulas actually doing the reading. About. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm there. <laughs> there's an arachnid presentation. There's something built on the website as the best live tarantula derby ever. The best uh, one ever. Wow. But the event I'm most curious about is the hairy leg contest. It's open to both men and women, though apparently only for ages 16 to 99. That makes sense. And for anyone who's feeling brave enough to attend, be sure to crawl your way over to Course Gold by October. October 27th. So that's the date for this year's festival. Yeah, it's going to be tough to decide which one of these festivals to go to because My Scary Festival is also on the 27th this year. And, you know, listeners are going to have a tough choice to make here. But <laughs> if you ask me, there's really no contest because the clear winner is the Emma Crawford Coffin Race that's held each year in Manitou Springs, Colorado. Huh. Now, who is Emma Crawford, you might ask? Well, 
She was a real woman who moved to the small town in the late 1800s. She was hoping that its famous mineral springs would help cure her tuberculosis. Now, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And so on Emma's deathbed, she requested that her lover have her buried at the top of a nearby mountain, and it was called Red Mountain there. And so that's exactly what he did. Only Emma didn't stay put for long. Now, here's the explanation from Atlas Obscura on what exactly happened next. It says, fulfilling her wishes, here Emma laid until 1912, when evil railroad barons moved her body to the mountain's south slope in order to make way for their trains. Shortly thereafter, terrible flooding eroded that spot of the land, causing Emma's casket to go shooting down the mountain into town <laughs> where a couple of boys found it, uh-huh. still labeled with the silver nameplate bearing her name. Uh-huh. Fast forward a few decades, and a tradition was born out of commemorating Emma's restless casket, where the crux of the sport lies in trying to put her back where she belongs. So the coffin race is basically a bunch of people trying to carry a real corpse up the side of a mountain. Like, don't tell me they <laughs> dig up that poor woman every year. For this. No, no, no. <laughs> there are zero corpses involved in this, thankfully. The first event was held back in 1994, and it mostly consists of this big parade in Emma's honor, and it's complete with a procession of hearses and a bunch of souped-up coffins on wheels, and it's just kind of like this very weird and dark soapbox derby. And <laughs> once the parade is over, competitors split off into teams of five. Now, those teams involve four pallbearers and one Emma, which is, of course, the costume person inside the coffin. <laughs> and the others have to push this person and the coffin across the finish line. And so two teams at a time compete in these heats, and they consist of a 195-yard uphill sprint. Oh, and man. afterwards, prizes are awarded, and you know, not only for the fastest time, but for the best coffin, the best entourage, and, of course, for the best Emma. <laughs> well, now that we've creeped everyone out, what do you say we clear the air with our last category, which is feel-good festivals? And right. these are the ones that, you know, they're maybe more laid back, a little more subdued than the ones we've talked about so far. And you can go first this time, Will. What, what, do, you, what do you pick? All right. So I feel like people want to go out with a bang. But for my last pick, I, I thought I'd go out with more of a whisper. And that Feels appropriate because for the last event I want to talk about, it's in Ocean City, New Jersey, and it's called the Quiet Festival. And it takes place on November 4th this year, and attendees have all manner of quiet and peaceful activities to look forward to. So let me just run down the list here. You've got bubble blowing, kite flying, pin dropping, paper airplane flying, a yo-yo demonstration, a quiet snoring contest. (laughs) I don't know exactly how that works. And it's actually, it takes place on the beach and it's called Snore at the Shore. (laughs) And as always, the festival will kick off in the morning with its traditional opening ceremony. Now, at that opening ceremony, there's an inspirational yawn along set to the tune of (laughs) Beautiful Dreamer and accompanied by the world's only wind chimes band. I mean, it doesn't get any better or or quieter than this, but it, it makes you wonder like, how did somebody come up with this idea? And they really went all in on this idea. So I love this because there's very little peace at my house with such loud talkers. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, seriously, what, what is the story here? Like, because this sort of sounds like an anti-festival, right? Like, like when, when you think a festival is quiet, isn't really a word that springs to mind. That's true. I mean, there's, there's actually just one guy responsible for the Quiet Fest, and his name is Mark Soifer. And he was Ocean City's publicist for 45 years before he finally retired in 2016. Now, during his tenure there, Mark dreamed up all kinds of offbeat events for his town, not just the Quiet Festival, but you know, look at some other stuff he came up with, Mollusk Day, and Weird <laughs> Week, and Mr. Mature America Contest. <laughs> I'd like to see what that one is exactly. And then his very first venture, the Miss Crustacean Hermit Crab Beauty Pageant. <laughs> so, you know, 
I have talked to you endlessly about starting America's Next Top Mollusk. So yes. I already love this guy. He sounds like my new hero. Um, and all this sounds so fun. Yeah, well, I mean, you're not alone in thinking so because despite the fact that Mark never actually lived in Ocean City and always commuted from a nearby town, he was honored as Citizen of the Year back in 1993 and then again as Citizen of the Decade in 2013. <laughs> citizen of the Decade, Mango. Feels like something he came up yeah, with. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he came up with that. <laughs> so, you know, it's going to be pretty hard to top that. And I'm actually going to borrow a page from your playbook and use a little home state pride to close this out. I knew you were going to do this. So, <laughs> so do you, are there really enough people in Delaware to support a festival? <laughs> I mean, ain't no party like a Delaware party. <laughs> <laughs> and that is especially true on the Thursday after an election day, which happens to be November 8th this year because this is when people from all the towns in Sussex County gather in Georgetown, Delaware to celebrate the Return Day Festival. So what's Return Day? I mean, does it have something to do with election returns? So not exactly. No, Nobody knows when Return Day was first celebrated, but it's thought to have emerged due to a change in state law back in 1791. And that was the year the county seat was moved from a coastal town to the more geographically uh, central town of Georgetown. Mm -hmm. And as a result of the switch, voters from other towns now had to travel there to cast their votes on Election Day. Then they'd go back home, only to return two days later to hear the results. That's weird. And so after a few years of everyone in the county getting together on return day, they just decided to blow out the event with festivities. And so, like, they had music, a parade, even a public barbecue where they'd roast a whole ox in this big open pit. Roasting an ox. Wow, mm. they really didn't added a weird element to it. <laughs> but there's no way that people still have to travel to a different town to cast a ballot. So why is it still called return day? I mean, part of it's just for tradition, right? But but these days, the festival is mainly seen as a way to kind of mend fences and heal the wounds caused by the November election. So in that sense, you can kind of think of it as a return to normal day. And for example, one of the main events is this big unity parade where all the people who ran in local and state elections on both sides of the aisle, both winners and losers, ride together oh, wow. alongside these marching bands, other floats. And if that sounds a little too warm and fuzzy for you, don't worry. Delaware's also got you covered on this because... Another big part of the return day is the mayoral hatchet toss contest. <laughs> so basically, this is where all the Sussex County mayors gather outside the courthouse, and then they take turns chucking hatchets at targets to see who can throw the farthest and with the most accuracy. But, you know, again, this is viewed as a symbolic way of burying the hatchet. So yeah. It's not as violent as people might think, but, uh, you know, the mayors aren't really throwing the hatches at each other or anything like that. Yeah, that would be a very different kind of festival. But, all right, well, you know, I've got to admit, you, you really won me over on the Delaware festival scene. So <laughs> we might need to take a road trip there for return day this year. But I think we could all use a little less political discord this season and return to normal. That, that actually sounds pretty good right about now. Definitely. But before we head out, why don't we do a fact off? Well, there was one festival I didn't mention in the spooky category, but would have been a pretty good fit. So, as you know, this many years after Thriller was created, I still think it's maybe the best music video ever. So it's it's no surprise that I, I think it'd be fun to attend the zombie pub crawl in Minneapolis. And it's actually this weekend. So get your plane tickets ready. <laughs> in case you're not familiar with a zombie walk or what it is, it, it's pretty much what it sounds like. Like it's this big organized gathering where lots of people show up in zombie costumes and you're encouraged to stay in character, walking zombie-like, dragging your legs, moaning and grunting and all that. And at this huge gathering, this involves, you know, moving between pubs in the area. So while there are some competing zombie walks out there, this one is the real deal. And they actually set a world record 
with over 15,000 attendees. I guess a world record for the biggest zombie walk. But (laughs) either way, that's a lot of people. That's pretty amazing. It is. You know, I'm a little bummed out that you said this because you actually stole my first fact, but you did leave out a couple of my favorite bits. So I'm going to add to that. All right. Um, You forgot the zombie pub crawl cheer, which is, what do we want? Brains. When do we want them? Brains. (laughs) That's that's great. Sorry I left that one out. And also at the event is the World Brain Eating Championship, where Joey Chester not ate more than uh, 50 pork brain tacos in eight minutes. 50. Wow. Of course, Joey Chestnut would win that one. I wonder how many records he holds in the uh, food eating category. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. On well, a very different note, another festival that just started yesterday and it runs through this weekend. Uh, it was called the Trailing of the Sheep Festival near Sun Valley, Idaho, which is about three hours east of Boise. And did you know that through much of the past century, there have actually been more sheep in Idaho than humans? Did you know that, Mango? That was one of those things I thought maybe you would know. But the festival is a celebration of the annual migration of the sheep to the southern part of the state. And in the big sheep parade on Saturday, you can trail behind 1,500 sheep down Main Street. (laughs) I mean, imagine getting to follow 1,500 sheep. That seems worth the trip in itself, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, 25,000 other people also show up. So it it must be something pretty special. That's funny. When I was uh, studying abroad in Tibet, in Lhasa, like I'd kind of done all the things I wanted to do. And on the last day, I was just like sort of bumbling about. And there was this sheep that was just walking through the city for some reason. Mm-hmm. And I just started following it yeah. around the city. And I spent like, <laughs> I spent half a day just following the sheep, just like walk into cafes, walk out of cafes. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. So imagine doing that plus 1,499 more. <laughs> I am in. So so we've talked about hot air ballooning before. We've actually had a couple of balloon pilots on for a quiz last year. But, you know, what we didn't talk about was the most photographed event in the world. And that's the Albuquerque International Balloon Festival. It's going to be cranking up in just a few days. And it's this stunning image to see these hundreds of balloons up against the backdrop of the mountains. And in addition to just being this beautiful, beautiful spot to see balloons. This area is apparently an ideal spot for ballooning for geographical reasons. It's known as the Albuquerque Box, and it's created by the mountains surrounding this valley. And I would need help like actually explaining the science of this, but I think it's that the winds at lower altitudes flow north and the winds at the higher altitudes flow south, which means the balloons can take off going north and then just come right back over the field as they prepare to land. Oh, that's pretty cool. And I know they refer to it as the most photographed event in the world, but that may just be what they say, right? I can't imagine it's actually the most photographed. It was event, on my but... Trapper Keeper growing up. So. Oh, so, yeah, I remember that Trapper Keeper. Oh, man, that's awesome. All right, well, you know, one of the many things I've never done but really want to do is go to a designated dark sky preserve. Now, this is a location where no artificial light is visible, and stargazing is just incredible there. So I really want to go to Jasper Dark Sky Festival in Alberta, Canada. Now, it's the second largest dark sky preserve in the world largest also being in Canada. It's the Wood Buffalo National Park. But this is the largest one that's relatively accessible from a nearby town. So really, this is is, is definitely somewhere I want to visit one day. That sounds pretty awesome. You know, since moving to Atlanta last year, I've been dipping my toes into as many Southern traditions as possible. And you explained to me that the most important thing to do was just eat as many unusual Southern foods as possible. Yep. So I've decided to head to the Sally Chitlin Strut in Sally, South Carolina next month. And I've learned that chitlins is how you pronounce chitterlings or mm-hmm. uh, fried hog intestines. And, right. you know, I know you mentioned the beauty pageant to crown uh, Miss National Peanut Festival or whatever it was, but uh, that has nothing on the queen of the chitlin strut, a position <laughs> crowned a couple weeks before the event. And I'm definitely going to report back. Oh, wow. 
You know, I was thinking about talking about CorgiCon in San Francisco <laughs> or the Scarecrow Fest in October or even Candytopia, but the fact that you're willing to travel to try chitlins. I, I mean, mean, I might get scared and just watch people try chitlins. All right. Well, either way, the fact <laughs> that you're willing to learn about them, I feel like I need to give you the trophy today. That sounds great. Thanks so much. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for today's episode from Gabe, Tristan, Mango, and me. Thanks so much for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Gary Rowland does the exec producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eves Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who? Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.